from being a college basketball player to being a marketing executive, a hospital administrator, a business owner, a motivational speaker, and more, our guest has reinvented himself frequently over his professional career. He's the author of Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Living Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. He's most recently a cancer warrior. Welcome to the show, Terry. How are you doing? I'm great, Toby. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your presence and your time right now. It's wonderful to have you on this episode of Mirror Talk. I'm so excited for everything I'm going to learn from you. But before you know, we talk about your book and talk about every wonderful thing, I know that... Um, now you are, you are battling with cancer, you are a cancer warrior, and you are doing that very wonderfully well. Um, but before you were diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, you frequently you know, transformed and reinvented your professional career. So is it possible for you to share your life and career journey and how all of this has influenced um, you know, your reinvention? What caused the reinvention? What caused the change of career paths? over a period of time and um, how has it influenced you and your family? Sure, so I'll try to give you the condensed version. I, I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, in the in the United States, which is the, Chicago is the third largest city in the United States. Mm. And I am the oldest of three boys. I have no sisters. And you can't tell this from my voice or from looking at me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I played college basketball, as you mentioned, uh, at, at a place called the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. And when I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now and realize that I really didn't know much about business just because I had a degree. But I was the first person in my family to actually graduate from college. And I was lucky enough to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. Um, that was the good part. The bad part was I ended up living with my family for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. You talked a little bit about my professional career and I'm sure we'll get into that as, yeah. as we go through this, but I guess to kind of round this out a little bit, my, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy yeah. and is an officer in the new branch of the military here in the United States, the Space Force. So, you know, if you if you look at my professional career, my first two jobs were in business. And yes. then I made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And the reason I did that was really my father, my, my grandfather, my dad's dad, had been a police officer in Chicago from 1924 to 1954 and was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It was not a serious injury, he was shot in the ankle, uh, but trauma medicine in 1935 was much different than trauma medicine is today. And my dad always remembered the stories my grandmother told about that knock on the door of Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, come with us, your husband's been shot. So when I expressed an interest in going into law enforcement, my dad was absolutely not. You're gonna go to college, you're gonna major in business, you're gonna get out, get a great job, get married, have 2.4 kids and you know live a great life. Yes. But that's the, that's the life my father wanted me to live. That's not what I felt my passion was. 
And so I had a choice when I graduated. As I mentioned, my dad was sick. He was dying of cancer. So I had two choices. I could say, sorry, dad, I'm going to go blaze my own trail and go into law enforcement. Or, and this is what I actually did out of love and respect for you, I will go into business. I will, you know, and those first two jobs, as I said, were, were in business, but I sort of joke, I did what every good son did. I waited until my father passed away and then I followed my own dreams yeah. and became a police officer. So, so that's a little bit of the, the motivation or, you know, it, it makes a little bit more sets now when you look at my resume, it's like, yeah. okay, you went into business and then you became a policeman. Why was that? <laughs> yes. Now, now everybody knows. Yeah. I also, you also worked in the hospital also, like you worked in the hospital administration for Riverside Methodist um, Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And um, like you are in the SWAT team also, like doing an investigation jobs or like, wow, this is so different areas on the different sides of life, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really is. I mean, if, if you, you know, you kind of, it, it's definitely all over the map. And, mm. you know, I've always felt myself uh, specifically, but I think all of us that we're, we're put on this earth to serve. I mean, if you believe in God, you know, to serve your God, but I think we're here to serve our fellow man and in, in whatever capacity that is, you know, for me, it was, you know, being in, in hospital administration, being in law enforcement and things like that. I mean, for other people, it's not. And, you know, and I always I always tell, especially young people, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, yeah. but that thing scares you, mm-hmm. go ahead and do it. Because if you do, at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do it. Yeah, that's very true. Wow. Yeah. So whenever we are feeling you're scared to try something else, we should just try it out and see how it goes. Yeah. No, we're, we're all going to be scared. I mean, you know, fear is a great motivator. And, and you know, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the status quo, the way things are right now should just be left alone. Mm. The problem with that is, the only way you're going to grow, the only way you're going to get better is if you step outside the status quo, if you step outside your comfort zones. And I try to do this every day. And, and I certainly re- recommend it to, to anybody who's listening. Do one thing. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. but one small thing that scares you, that makes you nervous, that makes you uncomfortable, that is potentially embarrassing. Because if you do those small things every day, when the big things in life hit, and they hit all of us, we lose somebody who's, you know, who we love, we we lose our job, we're living out of our car, whatever that ends up being, when those big things hit, you're going to be so much more resilient and able to handle those than those people who, you know, they never want to do anything uncomfortable because they just like being in that status quo. And I'd love to know this, um, you know, you tried different career fields um, in your lifetime. How did this influence your life or your mindset or the way you see things? Did it, you know, add to you in some ways or removes from you in some ways? Yeah, I mean, I certainly learned a lot of things being in business, even though it wasn't, you know, my passion. I didn't feel it was really what I was supposed to be doing. Mm. I worked with some great people. I learned a lot. Uh, about business. And I learned a lot about myself, things that, 
you know what, hey, you need to work on that. You need to have more patience. You need to, you know, accept people for who they are and things like that. So I learned quite a bit. When I was in law, enfor- law enforcement, um, I, I learned a lot about the importance of listening and, and not listening to respond, but listening to understand. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things as a police officer, you know, 99% of the things we did were face to face with another person, whether we were stopping them to give them a ticket for speeding or whether we were answering a radio run for a fight or a domestic situation. You know, it was always face to face. But when we were when I was a hostage negotiator, when we were negotiating with people, we had, we weren't face to face. We we could be be behind a, a locked door where, where they and they were in a room. We could be several blocks away talking to them on the phone. So we had to figure things out based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying, mm-hmm. and how they were saying it. And and that was so much different than what we were normally used to as a police officer. So there were times where it's like, well, I'm not really sure what's going on here. So I'll go down this rabbit hole. I, you know, you've got to start somewhere. I'll go yeah. down this rabbit hole. And a lot of times you were wrong. And, and they would tell you that. It's like, no, you dummy, you idiot. I'm not, that's not what the problem is. The problem is over here. It's like, well, okay, at least now we've established what the problem is. Yes. And, and the, the overriding or the overarching uh, way we conducted business as negotiators was based on trust. Mm. And I think that's true in any relationship that we have in life, whether it's, you know, husband and wife, parent, child, negotiator, and hostage taker. And so we never lied to any of the people we negotiated with. And we had some, some people will tell us, you know what, I'll come out, but you got to promise me I'm not going to go to jail. Hmm. And we would have to say, sorry, you know, when you do come out, you are going to go to jail, but then we would try to deflect the conversation to something more positive. So, oh, yeah. so I learned a great deal doing that. And the other thing, I'll, and I'll end it with this, is we learned the importance of silence. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we would people would say to us, "Oh, you know, congratulations, you you talked somebody out." What we really did is we listened people out. What mm-hmm. we would do is ask them an open-ended question and get them to talk to burn off some of that emotional energy, yes. and then. What they'd finish talking and, and we would just sit there. We wouldn't say anything. Mm. And so there would be this large silence mm. and people don't like silence. They want to fill it. Mm. So the, the person we were negotiating with would start talking again, which is exactly what we wanted them to do. Yeah. So it was the importance of, of understanding how to use silence mm. to help get somebody out of a bad situation. Oh, that's so brilliant. Yes, I love that. Yeah. So now, now I'd love to, to switch to your present time now. Like you're, you're a strong warrior, as I said earlier, and I, I really admire your strength. I said before we started recording, like now you are, you are battling with cancer. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a bit, I mean, it's a bit sad, but about, I, what I admire more and most is that um, you, you combine your, your 10 year cancer journey with your diverse business and ventures you are still the, the sought after speaker you still do you still help people you are you've written a book for example and you are doing a lot of things combined with this journey that you're on currently so can you tell also can you talk to me about your your cancer journey so far how has it been for you how, i'm interested in knowing how you um, how you have taken this on and um, how it has influenced your life your family and how you have been able to combine 
this so successfully well with your family and with your um with your ventures also sure so i i found out back in 2012 i i was a at the time i was a girls high school basketball coach and i I had a callus that broke open on the bottom of my foot right below my third toe and initially i didn't give it much thought because as a basketball coach you're on your feet a lot but after a few weeks of it not healing I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor, a friend of mine, and he took an x-ray and he said, you know, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But he sent it off to pathology to have it looked at. And then two weeks later, I get a call from him. And as I said, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having explaining what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming until finally he just just laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years and I've never seen the form of cancer that you have. You have a rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And he recommended I go to a very good cancer hospital to be treated because my cancer was so rare. And I did, and I had the bottom of my foot surgically cut out. I had all the lymph nodes in my groin removed. Mm-hmm. And then when I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon. And the side effects of interferon for me was that I had severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that was not a cure. That was just, we want to do this to try to keep the disease from coming back so that when it does come back, we'll have more therapies. In 2017, I had to stop the interferon because it became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit of the hospital with a fever, with a temperature of 108 degrees, which usually isn't compatible with being alive, but Mm. I was able to be stabilized and saved. Mm. So I had to stop it in 2017. Mm. And almost immediately, the cancer came back in the exact same area that it had presented. In 2018, I had my left foot amputated because of the cancer. Uh, The disease worked its way up my shin in 2019. had two more surgeries. And then in 2020, an undiagnosed tumor kind of in the, in the bottom of my foot, in my ankle area, grew large enough that it, it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse, again, right in the middle of this pandemic we're all going through, yeah. was to have my left leg amputated uh, above the knee. And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs. And so I am, I am currently being treated for those tumors And, you know, I know that sounds like a very dark and ugly story, and it is. But on the other hand, cancer has made me a better person. Cancer has made me a stronger person, a more resilient person, a person who appreciates life a lot more than I did than before I got cancer. So, yes, cancer is bad, but cancer can also be somewhat positive depending on how you look at it. And that's one thing I, I admire about you too, because while preparing for this conversation, I read one thing that you learned during, um, you know, this pain and suffering is that we have choices. We basically have two choices. Either we, we, scumble, um, we scumble to the discomfort and misery 
or we learn to embrace it and use it to make us stronger and better human beings. And I really find that so, so um, courageous, I would say. Like, how, how are you able to deal with the pain, all the pain and all the discomfort and the misery that came with it? And um, how are you able to use all of that to make yourself a better and stronger person? That's a great question. I, the way I look at it is this. We're all going to experience pain in our lives. And it doesn't have to be, you know, cancer pain or any kind of an illness whatsoever. You know, and, you know, people have all kinds of, of issues. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you take that pain and use it to make you a stronger, a tougher, a better, a more determined individual? Or do you wallow in that pain and feel sorry for yourself and want other people to feel sorry for you? Toby, you and I both know this. Life is about the choices that we make and the consequences of those choices. So you have a choice. Do you want to use pain to make you stronger or do you want to feel sorry for yourself and, and actually kind of regress and get away from it? And I get it. I get that people don't like pain. I mean, we see it every day. You know, people are in pain. They turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs, they turn to bad behavior in their life. Yes. That's a choice. That's a choice on how you wanna handle that. And I think one of the things that's helped me over my life is my, my participation in team sports, in basketball. Because I started playing basketball when I was nine years old and I played on teams all the way up till I graduated from college when I was 21. And one of the things that I learned from team sports is the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. Yeah. You know, on a team, you realize that if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, your parents down, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. Yes. And, you know, I, like, as I mentioned, I've got these tumors in my lungs. I, uh, I'm on a clinical trial drug for those tumors. The drug is probably not going to save my life, mm. but it may save the life of somebody down the road five years from now or 10 years from now, yes. somebody that I don't even know. Mm. But for me, that's the reason I keep showing up. And, you know, I go to the hospital every third week. I'm there for the entire week. And you have two ways of looking at it. You get to do it or you have to do it. And a lot of people are like, oh, I got to go to the hospital. I have to go to the hospital. The way I look at it is I get to go to the hospital because by going to the hospital, the doctors are learning things from my blood work, from my scans that may help somebody that I will never, ever meet. Mm -hmm. That, you know, I'll be long dead and that person will be able, you know, to beat their cancer and live a longer life with their family. So for me, I, I get to go to the hospital and that makes my life even have much more meaning than somebody who just kind of like, I, I, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to feel sorry for myself. Yes, that's true. Wow, that's beautiful. And that's a very positive mindset, actually. Like you, you get to go to the hospital to help other people down the line to, you know, get quicker recovery from the situation that's here yeah, or this disease or sickness. I love, I love that. That's good. And but how has it been like for you know for, for the family, you know, the people around you, you know, in this in this time and journey of yours? How has it been like for for them and for you also and your business too? Yeah, it's it's certainly been hard. It, it's been hard all the way around. I think cancer or any kind of a chronic illness tends to isolate us from 
the, the people we care about, whether it's our friends or our family and mm-hmm. things like that. And, and I've talked about what, what I call my three F's, which are, are three things that have gotten me through mm-hmm. my cancer journey. And, and those are faith, family, and friends. I, I have a very strong faith in God. I realize there are a lot of people out there that may be listening to us that don't. But for me, it, it, it has worked. And, you know, and, and when I got cancer, people were like, well, who do you who do you blame because you got cancer? I mean, especially in the United States, we're great about, you know, starting down. A, you know, we, we want to reach our goals. So we start towards our goals. But then we we butt up against an impediment or something that, you know, that stops us. Mm-hmm. And so we quit. And then when we quit, we want to blame somebody. We don't want to take responsibility for our own success and happiness. So we have to blame our parents or our boss or our station in life. And so people would ask me, you know, do you blame God because you got cancer? No, I don't blame God. I don't think, you know, and I sort of joke about this. I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, looked at his to-do list and said, ah, Terry Tucker is going to get cancer today. I don't think God did that at all. But I do believe God has given me the strength and the resources to get through this. Hmm. So that's the faith part of it. The family part of it, which is what you asked about, it's just my daughter and I. And I remember after I had my leg amputated, my doctor wanted to put me on chemotherapy. And I, I asked him, I said, well, if I do this, is it going to save my life? And he was like, eh, probably not. Yeah. I said, well, I don't know if I want to do that then. I was eight years into this fight against cancer. I said, I, I don't know if I want to go through all that ugliness to have the same result as if I didn't take it. You know, I'm still going to die. So why would I do that? Yeah. And so I said, I'll go home and talk to my family and we'll talk. Well, you know, we'll, I'll make a decision. And I'll let you know. So I go home and I, I talk to my wife and daughter and, and I, I start telling them what's going on. And my daughter's immediately, oh, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. It's not like we've got a board <laughs> here, you know, or something like that. Yeah. So we all sit around the kitchen table mm-hmm. and we talk about our different perspectives of me having chemotherapy. And then once we've all had our say, my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my wife and my daughter raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I going to get outvoted on something I don't want to do? Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a joke and it's kind of funny, but it really did happen that way. Mm-hmm. And, and I remembered back when I was in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people that we love the most to class. Yeah. And as we were learning to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy because I loved my family more than I loved myself. But Mm -hmm. it has certainly been a difficult journey. I mean, when I was doing the the interferon uh, medication, I mean, my wife would be like, just come to the table and sit with us. I know you don't feel good and you don't want to eat. And I would sit at the table and then I would get you know, uh, uh, the smell of mashed potatoes or the smell of broccoli. And I'd be like, no, I've got to, I've got to go throw up. And so not only does cancer isolate you from other people, Mm -hmm. the the medication, the treatment Mm -hmm. was isolating, isolating me from my family as well. So it's been a tough journey, but I am so glad I have my wife and daughter in my corner. Yes, it's good to have good people around you. And I love that three S. Like you have faith, you have friends, and you have family around you. And that could help you to go through any circumstances or any condition or situation in life, basically. 
That's wonderful. And in, in addition to your faith and your determination to continue your fight, you use four truths to guide the decisions you make in life. And I love this so much when I read it. I was like, yeah, I must ask Terry when, he, when we speak, like, can you share this with me? I know them. I have them here. But can you share this with me? And can you explain the, the four truths to me? The four truths to me. Yeah. So the four truths are things that I've developed over these 10 years. The first one I think I developed maybe when I was in high school, but the other ones basically over these last 10 years. And I call them my my sort of my foundation of my soul. They're just a good place to, to build a life up, to build a quality life up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'll give them to you here. I have them on a, on a piece of paper right on my desk and I see them every single day and they get reinforced in my mind. So here's the first one. You must control your mind or your mind is going to control you. Mm-hmm. When I was playing basketball in high school, I had three knee surgeries. And when I went back playing, my brain was putting all this negative, these negative thoughts into my mind. You know, things like, hey, you've had surgery, so you're probably a step slower and college coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you to come and play for their their teams. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still contacting me about playing at their college or the university. So I had to change the narrative. I had to flip the switch in my brain to realize that, no, I I, I need something positive going in there. And if you think about it, our brains can hold one thought at a time. Why would you make that a negative thought? So being able to control your mind is is important. And it doesn't, you know, it it certainly has helped me as a cancer survivor or a cancer uh, patient, but it's also important whether you're in school or you're in business. I mean, I remember when I was in college and and guys would go out and party the night before a big test. Mm -hmm. And then they would come into the test the next morning, kind of hungover and tired and all that. And what do they say? Oh, man. I don't really feel very good. I'm going to blow this test today. Why would you say that to yourself? Why would you go immediately to the negative? Why wouldn't you say, hey, I paid attention in class this semester. I'm going to do great on this test. But no, we always go to the negative. So you need to control your mind. That's number one. Number two is you need to embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that to make you a stronger and more determined individual. We talked earlier, so I won't go a lot into this, yes. you know, about how the brain is wired and we want to avoid pain in that. Mm-hmm. But what I'm suggesting with that truth is to do just the opposite. Instead of running away from pain, use it, take it, flip it inside, burn it as fuel, use it as energy mm-hmm. to make you a stronger person. Yes, that hurts. Now that hurt is going to make me stronger. You know, if things were easy in our lives, everybody would be rich and powerful and famous and all that. It's the hard things in life that you need to take that difficulty and turn it inside and use it to make you a stronger person. So that's number two. Number three is more of a legacy truth. I think it's important, regardless of where we are along the path of our life, to think about the end game. And in, in many cultures, ancestry is very important. And you know, the ancestors set the table for you. What table are you going to set for the next generation? And so number three is this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. Yeah. So that's number three. Number four, I think is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. 
And my pain is going to end someday. You know, it may end through surgery. It may end through medication. Quite frankly, it may end when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to pain, then pain will always be a part of my life. That's true. Wow. Wow. Those are wonderful truths to live by. Yes. That means it gives us like we have to like we have we have to like you know be strong and not not give up on our lives and have this positive mindset to live a life that is positive basically. <laughs> yeah, okay, like mindset that you know leads you in the direction of positivity also. Yes, I love that. And I will also talk about your book right now. Like um I find this like so inspiring. You wrote a book entitled Sustainable Excellence. So can you share more about this book and what inspired you to write this book? So the book was really born out of two conversations that I had. One was with a former basketball player that I had coached and she and her fiance had moved to the area where my wife and I live now. And we had had dinner with them one night. And I remember saying to her, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while and she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth and living that reason. We are not all born with the same gifts and talents, but we all have the ability to become the best person that we're capable of becoming. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man reach out to me on social media. Uh, He was a college student and he asked me what I thought were the most important things he should learn to not just be successful in his job or in business when he graduated, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others kind of thing. Not that those aren't important. Those are incredibly important. But I wanted to see if I could maybe go deeper. And so I thought about it for a while and I took notes and eventually I had these these 10 ideas, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I sort of stepped back and I was like, well, you know, I got a life story that fits underneath that principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates this principle. Mm -hmm. So literally during the three month period between the time I had my leg amputated and the time I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs, I sat down at the computer every day while I was healing and I wrote stories underneath those principles. And they're true stories. They're, They're real people, they're real incidences that have occurred over either my life or other people's lives. And so, you know, it's not like, well, that's a made up story. No, these are real things that happen that I think really kind of encapsulate what those principles are about. And that's how sustainable excellence came to be. Yes. So if if you could define excellence, how would you define it? What would be your own definition for excellence? I can't. And, 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 you know, and that's funny because you you wrote wrote a book about excellence. And I talk about this in the introduction to the book that, Mm. you know, what I may think is excellent, you may say, well, that person's good, but I don't think they're excellent. So Mm. excellence like beauty is kind of in the eye of the beholder, you know, And, and I think excellence is it's just a process. It's a process of, I guess, evolving, of accumulating knowledge and skills that we use to make us better. And eventually we get to a point where we're excellent. But Mm -hmm. how do you define that? How do, you know, like I say, my definition of excellence and your definition of excellence may be two entirely different things. So I, I don't think, like I said, like beauty, I think excellence is very hard to define. 
Yes. But if you could give a word to it, what would it be? If you could give a description, your own personal definition, what would it be? I guess you, you just have to ch- constantly be challenging the status quo. You know, mm. taking all the information you get, whether it's, it's, it's knowledge, whether it's skill with your body, whatever you're doing, yes. and, and constantly challenging the status quo. This is where we are right now. Mm. Well, you know what? I want to get better. You know, yeah. and then I want to get better and I want to get better. And I, I know a lot of times, you know, and, and I'll use just this as an example, you know, say you're a salesman and, you know, mm-hmm. with a company and mm-hmm. you want to get better at sales. You want to be a better salesperson. Yes. Well, that's that's a that's kind of that's a good goal. But but how do you define that? And and the way I look at that is don't look at it as I got to get better at sales. It's kind of that old joke. You know, how do you eat the elephant one bite at a time? Mm-hmm. You know. But what instead of getting better at sales, what if you got 1% better at sales every day? So at the end of 30 days, you're 30% better than you were when you started. At the Mm. end of two months, you're 60% better than when you started. So that's a little bit easier, I think, for for us to grasp and, and to say, okay, you know, every day you can evaluate that. Did I get better at whatever it is, sales? You know, did, did I get better at sales today than I was yesterday? Mm-hmm. And that cumulative effect of that knowledge, of that, uh, you know, understanding of all that put together, that cumulative effect can make you excellent mm-hmm. at being in sales. Yes. But it's not something that like, okay, today, yesterday I'm bad at sales, today I'm excellent at sales. It's, yes. it's a cumulative effect of getting better every single day. Every single day, yes. But is there like, you know, some kind of ways to measure, okay, measure excellence, for example, to say, okay, um, now I have achieved excellence. And now, okay, now that I've achieved excellence too, is there a way to now sustain it also? Like, how can I know if I've achieved my own definition of excellence and how can I sustain this excellence of mine? See, and I think that's just it. You have to determine what excellence is. And, and, you know, I'm here. Is that excellent? You know, am I excellent at that? Is that based on my my goals? Is that Mm. based on industry standards? Is that based on other people that I work with who do the same job? And, Mm. and, you know, if you think about it, what do we do? We we become good at something. We're we're let's just use sports as an analogy. You know, we're 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 a championship soccer team. Okay, good. Your championship soccer team. So that means you're at the top level. You know, you're better than all the other teams. And what do we do? What do teams do? What do individuals do? Well, they get to that top and they're like, man, I'm good. I'm great. Well, in order to stay, in order to sustain that championship, in order to sustain that excellence, Mm. you have to get better. True. You know, you can't you can't just say, well, I'm a champion now. So I'm good. I can just stop growing. I can stop learning. I can stop developing. Mm. You you have to, in order to sustain it, you have to continue to get better. You can't just sit back and say, I'm good with this. So, and that's, and that's something a lot of teams are guilty of. You know, they get a championship and then they sort of sit back and they're, oh, you know, yeah, we worked hard to get there. And then they don't understand why they don't, they're not the championship, you know, they don't win the championship the next year. True. Well, it's because other teams figured you out and you <laughs> haven't grown. You haven't gotten better, but other teams have. So mm-hmm. sustaining it is, is it, I know sustain sounds like, well, you just keep it there. Yeah. But in my mind, sustain is you can't keep it there. You have to grow. You have to continue to get better. Yes. Yeah, so you have to keep on breaking your record, your own record and keep on. Yes. Exactly. 
setting new standards for yourself, basically. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. But now I would love to dive into the book a little bit back. You know, your book talks about a lot of principles for us to um, live a, um, you know, extraordinary life, uncommon and extraordinary lives. So is it possible for you to share these um, principles with me? Like, I know there are 10 of them, and the first one is enjoy your life. But is it possible for you to sh- share all of this with me or some of them with, with us? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's fun for me as an author. You know, I, I mean, I'm a guy, so I've never... I've never given birth to a child. You know, I've never created something like that. But, mm. you know, this book is as close as I've come to, to creating something out of nothing. And mm. it's always fun for me as an author, because when, when people read the book, there's always one principle that sort of resonates with them. There's mm. one principle that it's like, you know, and, and, and again, the principles are not in any order. You know, number one is not any more important than mm. number seven or anything like that. So so it's it's fun for me to listen to, well, you know, number five is the one I got or number six is the one I, and, and, the, and even though I wrote the book and I have the 10 principles, the one that resonates with me yes. is this one. And, and each principle is a chapter. It's that most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that. I know I've been like, ooh, I'd like to do that, but mm, what are people going to say about me if I fail? Or, you know, are, are people going to laugh at me if, if I'm not successful and stuff like that? That's yeah. thinking with your fears. That's thinking with your insecurities instead of just jumping in with both feet. You know, a lot of times when you're getting in the pool, you know, you kind of you stick your toe in. It's like, is it cold? Is it, you know, how's the water? It, instead of just like, you know, what, I'm just going to jump in and, yes. and, and, and I'll figure out how it goes as we as, as we're, we're in it. And, and people don't do that. And so for me, that's that's a very important principle. Mm-hmm. Um, another principle that I talk about is you are the person that you're looking to become. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you want something out there, but you're not there yet, mm-hmm. you're still that person. You just haven't gotten to, to, to that to that point yet. So yes. don't think. And one of the discussions I had with my player when I was writing the book was about, you know, well, how do I know? How will I know when I get to the point where, you know, I've reached my purpose, I've reached my passion? And we talked about that, you know, about, you know, if you can't wait to get up in the morning and go do whatever it is, and maybe I should step back for a second. A lot of times we think our purpose or our why or our passion mm-hmm. has to be our job, has to, do, has to be what we do for a living. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. You know, you could have a job over here that you use to pay the bills, but your passion or your purpose is to write or to paint or to be an activist or to volunteer or whatever it is that's in your heart. So yes. it doesn't have to be your job. For a lot of people, it is, but don't feel that it has to be. And when you get to that point in your life where you can't wait to get up and go do whatever that is, then that's probably your passion, your, your purpose, as opposed to the people who are like, oh, gosh, I, I, I got to go to work or I got to do whatever it is. And they're not they're not motivated. They're not happy. They're not inspired to do that. Well, that's probably not your purpose. And so, you know, when when you're looking to become something and and, and, and it's good to do that. It's good to aspire to other people, you know, to look at other people as role models. I, I had a nurse recently ask me, you know, what was it like to have, uh, well, actually, let me tell you a different story. She asked, she said, you know, when I first met you, mm-hmm. and she, she's about 25 years old. When I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. 
She said, I'd, I'd had a good friend of mine die. I was in a very dark place. I talked to my mom and dad, and I was going to go to work for Amazon. And she said, and then I met you. And I see what you go through every day. I see how you're motivated to help other people, even though this, this medication, this therapy is so hard on you, yeah. but it's probably not going to save your life. And I knew I was in the right place. And if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea that my life had such a positive impact on her. And so I always ask people, you know, Toby, you, me, my wife, your family, whoever it is, who are those people out there who we don't even know, who are sort of watching us from on far and are be like, I want to be like Toby. But you don't know that. You don't know who those people are. And there's an old saying that goes like this. A careful person I want to be, a little person follows me. Yeah. I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. So it's, I think it's important for us to live a life of significance, which is about service. And that way, when people look at us, they're like, yeah, I want to emulate Toby. I want to be like him because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And those people exist all the time, no matter how bad we think our position in life is, no matter how down we are, no matter what, there's somebody that would trade places with us like that. Yes. And so I think it's important for us to remember that. So if you're not the person you want to be, but you're working toward it, eventually you're going to get there. And then I think the last one is the final chapter, and it's the importance of love in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, love what we do for a living, love our families, you know, love our God, if you believe in that and, and things like that. And, and that word, you know, a lot of times is not, it's not a word that we want to say a lot. You know, it's not something we, we were comfortable with and things like that. And I remember I heard a, a basketball coach, and I'll, I'll end with this story. I had a basketball coach when I was growing up at the University of California at Los Angeles. Great coach, won a lot of championships, and he was being interviewed. And the reporter asked him, what do you think is the most important thing that anybody needs to understand or learn in life? And I was all ready for, you know, I had, I was taking notes from this interview. You know, yeah. what, 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 you know, give me something good, coach. Give me some X's and O's and things that I can use on the basketball court. Yes. And he said the most important thing in, in anything we do, whether, it, you know, it's outside in, in, our, in our jobs, whether it's inside in our relationships, the most important thing in any language is love. To love what you do, to love the people you're around. And I was like, no, 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 no. Give me, I want something that helps me with basketball. But in reality, it did help me with basketball. It was the understanding that I needed to love what I did. I needed to love the people that were around me. That's a very, very wonderful thing to do. Like love. Love is very important. That's why God is love himself. And we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. We have to love even what we do. Everything we spend our time doing, we have to love it also. You know, to get the best out of it. Yes. And I, I, the one I can relate more with is the, the first principle that you talked about. And that was like, you know, um, you should not look at other people basically when making your decision. Like, you know, we have this fear that oh, what will other people think about um, when I take this step or uh, do this, when I take this action of mine. And that, that's the way, um, if you look at what other people think about us or their opinion, it could stop us from actually realizing or becoming what we are supposed to become in life, basically. Yeah. We're not all the same. I mean, we are 
we're actually incredibly unique. There's mm-hmm. never going to be another person like you. There yeah. never has been another person like you. Same sure. with me, same with your family and my family and things like that. That's how unique we are. And it's important for us not to, you know, compare ourselves to other people. That, mm-hmm. that, that, that doesn't do us any good, especially at the end of our lives. You know, God's not going to judge us based on what other people said or did. He's going to judge us based on what we said and what we did. And I want my life to be shaped by the decisions that I made, not by the ones that other people made for me or that I didn't make for myself. So I think it's real important. I I mean, what's the ninth commandment? You know, thou thou not uh, covet thy neighbor's goods. So, you know, it's okay to want things in life. But it's not okay to want them because somebody else has them, yeah. you know. So, and and I think that's a that's a very fine line distinction, you know. Yeah. And that so it's important to live a life that's authentic to you. You were given certain gifts and talents. Figure out what those gifts and talents are. They're already inside you. Yes. Figure out how you can use them to serve yourself and other people, mm-hmm. and you will have a life of significance. And when you do that, life or death is not going to be nearly as scary as all those people that just kind of muddled through their life and never figured out what they were supposed to do. Yes, that's very true. I would encourage everyone out who is listening or everyone out there to get a copy of this book. It's available on Amazon. A link is also available on your website to motivationalcheck.com. But are there other platforms where people could get it? Is there other places that we, where we could buy the book or order the book from? Yeah, you can get the book anywhere online uh, mm-hmm. where, where, you, where you can get books. So, I mean, you can get it on Apple iBooks. And, and you know, I, I, I know in the United States where you can get it, I'm not entirely sure what the other you know options are in Europe and Asia and things like that. So yeah. anywhere online, you can get sustainable excellence. Uh, it, it's there in, in different formats. Yes, that's beautiful. So I encourage everyone to get that. The link will be available in the show notes of this episode. So just click on it or copy the link and just add order on Amazon or check um, motivationalcheck.com in order to get other, for the, um, other information about this book and other inspiring things that Terry does. Because I know you are a sought-after speaker who believes in the, in the power of you know, a good story to motivate, inspire, and help others lead their uncommon and extraordinary lives. I, I love this so much. And I know you have a lot of speaking engagements. You do a lot of you know, encouraging people. So can you tell us about the services that you offer, the speaking engagements that you do, and how people can you know, connect with you and work with you? Yeah, the, I, you know, before COVID hit, I was actually doing in-person speaking. And since the, the, the pandemic, you know, has pretty much been around the world, it's kind of shut down in a lot of ways that speaking. So I, uh, I'm doing a lot of virtual speaking, virtual uh, online events. Um, you know, I, I'm doing podcasts. I spend uh, quite a few time trying to get my message out. Uh, by being on podcasts with nice people like you. And, I, you know, I always say that hopefully our conversation today is going to make a difference in the life of, pe- of other people, you know, your audience members. And if it does that for me, that's really been a good day. So if you want to, if you want to connect with me, if you want to leave me a message, if you want to, you know, ask me about potentially speaking at an event that you're you're, you're having, you can go to motivationalcheck.com and there's a form there to fill out. And, and like I said, you there's also a form to leave me a message if you just want to say, hey, I liked your interview or I hated your interview or whatever it is. <laughs> I, I answer whatever, you know, if you send me something, I'll yes. definitely answer you back. 
Wow, beautiful. So once again, the link is, is going to be in the show notes of this episode. And I encourage everyone to get across to Terry to ask other questions that we're not able to cover in, during this um, you know, episode. That would be wonderful. And um, just as a last question, what advice would you give someone out there who is fighting for his or her life, who is struggling maybe with health situations or with any other circumstance in life? I guess I would say this. Everything you need to be successful in life is already inside you. You just need to find it. You just need to pull it out and you just need to use it to your advantage. And, and believe me, there, as, I, as I said, you know, when I was on the interferon drug, I was incredibly sick. And, I, and there was a point where I was so sick of being sick that I prayed to die, that I, that I wanted, you know, God to take me out of this. And, and I found in my life that when I get into these dark and, and ugly places, and I do, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not Superman. I have bad days just like everybody else. But when I, when I get in those places, I find what helps me the most is instead of looking inside, instead of saying, woe is me, look how terrible this is, it helps me to look outside, to look for other people that I can help, to look for other people that I can make a difference in their lives. So when, if you're in those places, if you're in those dark and ugly places, and I know there are a lot of people that are, stop looking inside, start looking outside, start saying, you know what, I can contribute something to another human being. And if you do that, your whole attitude, your, your whole outlook on life brightens up. So stop looking inside, get out there and help other people and realize that everything you need in life is already inside you. Wow, I love that. Everything that we need to succeed in life is right inside of us. And don't look inside sometimes. Just look outside and see the people that you can impact and help them with your own journey or with your own experience. Wow, thank you so much, Terry. I appreciate everything that I've been able to learn from you in this episode. I'm so blessed. And I hope everyone out there will also um, you know, get one or two things from this episode. Thank you so much. Well, Toby, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Wow, you made it to the very end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your time, your love, and your contributions. Subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast. God bless you. Bye.